0: Hey everybody, Travis here from the show. Just wanted to give you a quick update on our Patreon page. In the past, we haven't treated it with the most attention that we should, and we thought it was time to up our game. So instead of just sitting back and asking you to support the show monetarily, we are going to set $50 increment goals, and every time we hit one of those goals, it'll allow us to purchase something that makes the show better. And in addition to that, we will also be filming a short film based on a Kanye West song. So the more you donate, the better equipment we'll be able to buy, and the more we'll be able to embarrass ourselves online with these short films. So just head to patreon.com Kanye podcast if you want to help us out.
1: Thank you, and stay wavy.
0: Everybody wants to know what I would do if I didn't win. I guess we'll never know. So keep your love. I don't get enough of it. Jesus just rose again. Listen to the kids.
1: Welcome to Watching the Throne, a lyrical analysis of Kanye West. My name's Chris Lambert, and today we have a story with Donna Clare. Donna, introduce yourself to everybody.
2: Hey guys, my name's Donna Clare. I'm a senior writer at DJBooth.net and a content strategist at AudioMac. I prefer to be called the uh, First Lady of DJ Booth, and really, what that means <laughs> is I spend like twenty-ish hours a day writing nonstop and then somewhere in the mix, I find some time to sleep and think of ideas. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Which is so true. I was trying to bring up two of the articles that we're going to talk about today, your article on Kids See Ghosts and your article on Yay, and I was <laughs> scrolling through, because I know they're recent. They're just from the last mm-hmm. like, couple of weeks, and I'm scrolling through, and I'm just like, I've gone through 40 articles. Maybe I went too far, and I was like, no, no. You just write that many articles.
2: That's really, it's just such a compulsion of mine. I think I've been so lucky in my life to know that I just want to write. I was like the kid that carried around like the five subject notebook everywhere she went and I would just write nonstop all the time. So the fact that I get to do it for any sum of money is otherworldly. (laughs) But you know, the fact that I get to do it also gives me this drive to like do it at an impressive, I would say, rate. But I could always be writing more is what I tell myself.
1: That's right keep keep raising the bar had uh, music always been something that you wanted to get into and be writing about or is it just something that you were writing about many topics and this was just one you found yourself gravitating to more
2: I always really loved music I wanted to make music for a time I started playing the bass guitar really early on I played the violin the upright bass I had a very very brief one lesson with the acoustic guitar it did not go over very well (laughs) I'm just very taken by music, but I think that, like, this type of writing is just such a synthesis of everything that I love, which is, like, culture and people and music and a little bit of fiction and a little bit of poetics, and it all just kind of comes together into this magic entity that is uh, music writing.
1: And how long have you been been at it?
2: Um, professionally?
1: Yeah.
2: Um, I think since... Uh, 2016 i've been doing it on a level that uh matters in this sphere but i've been writing and publishing for a good grip of time i have like some poems published in magazines i have like a short story published i had one short story nominated for a Pushcart prize which is fascinating to me because i don't think it deserved it and it didn't win <laughs> but it's good to say
1: and yeah, that is nice though that's just like oh that that got that really <laughs>
2: Yeah, yeah. It's, um, people always are surprised to find out that I write other things. I think because of the volume of how much music writing I do, people don't expect to learn that I also write everything. But I, I really can't stop. I have a very um, like addictive personality, and so I'm happy that this is the channel that I've chosen.
1: <laughs> yeah, you have constant content to write about. There's always something going on as like, news has really become this new form of entertainment, mm-hmm. which is really crazy to me. Like, watching all the drama unfold this last month with Kanye has been like reality TV. Watching NBA and NFL and soccer drama and the coverage around it is, like, reality – not TV, but just reality, I guess, entertainment in that way. So –
2: yeah. And- it's a fascinating type of writing, too, because so you have to report on something honestly and then you have to ever so gently editorialize. And it's like this type of thinking where you see a news story developing, like the the Kanye and Charlemagne interview is one that I think of right off the bat. And so I hear like the soundbite that I think is a good pull. But then there's that additional part where I have to bring something to this now. And so he was talking about um, how he uses his friends as therapists. And so my take on it is you shouldn't do that. You should all have your own individual therapists, perhaps a medical regime as well. So <laughs> way to like blend all of those things together. It's I love to be challenged in how I approach anything. So I don't love the media circus for the fact that it's just so fast paced, but I like the way that it pushes me.
1: Yeah, that you don't really have time to sit there and try to find the perfect, perfect thing. You kind of have to find just the topic and make it as good as you can in the time that you have
2: yeah absolutely
1: uh, so <laughs> in that level of uh being interested in art and getting addicted to a topic or a subject or an action uh, you got involved professionally in this in this world when kanye was in another news cycle that seemed just like a mm. hurricane which was the 2016 kanye news cycle um mm. what had your relationship been with kanye up to that point before you had to start writing about him
2: i think um kanye west has always existed as an ubiquitous entity in my life <laughs> i think like to To be able to like say, oh, this is the first time I heard Kanye. I don't have that ability. I think that I was born here in. I think everyone was born here in Kanye West. It feels <laughs> like. But um, the the good news is that in 2016, I was still doing a lot of um like underground writing, so I didn't have to like broach the subject, which I'm happy about because the writer I was at 2016 is just not was not equipped or qualified to do such a thing. Like I could not have covered the. The life of Pablo with nearly the tact that I could now than I could in like three years had that happened three years from now.
1: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense because you that was such a <laughs> an intense period. And even the period that you're writing in now, as you're saying, like it demands a lot of tact. And there have been so many articles written about this that I I feel lack that tact. Or mm-hmm. It's it's weird to see how you have to try to balance short term talking points and short term outlooks versus long term talking points and long term outlooks with something like the drama that we've seen unfold in April, May and June.
2: That's why I think I like very much latch on to things that I know I can cover both from like a personal perspective with some kind of authority and also that are evergreen in a way, like both of the articles that I wrote about Yay and Kids See Ghosts have to do with in at least some part, like mental illness. And that's something I can always speak to. And I feel like I have at least a base level of authority on, and it's evergreen, you know, mental illness sadly is not about to evaporate off the face of the earth. And so that's kind of how I navigate that. But there's other things where I would love to speak on, but I just, I'm not in the position or I'm just not researched enough, or I just feel like It's just so much to unravel.
1: Yeah, and I think that's one of the cool things about this is that each journalist has their own topic that they can't speak on, and that's what kind of gives them their unique voice rather than just reporting the facts, right? But being able to Mm -hmm. write articles like you did with Yay Fails as an album but Succeeds as a Coping Mechanism or the all-consuming mythos of Kanye and Kid Cudi's new album, you definitely bring yourself and your perspective into that in a way that gives them a unique twist.
2: Yeah, I think it's the only real way I know how to write, I think, is just to tell a story and then tell the story about how they tell their story. Because I think um, if you read anything that I write, I very much have a desire to like take one thread and it makes me think of this other thread and kind of pull them all together and then weave it into whatever existential crisis I've encountered on that particular day. But I think that's how most people experience music on some level. And perhaps that's why people enjoy what I write, because I think everyone's base desires to connect with another person, another thing, another artwork.
1: Yeah, very much. Like that, that just seems to be life, right? Even when you're pushing people away, a lot of the times, it still has to do with connection and lack of connection. Everything just comes down to that relationship with others or with something else.
2: Well, that's why I like Kanye so much is because he is very much so lineage. I think as someone who owns four different uh, colored Chance Three Hats, I'm really interested (laughs) in the lineage of music coming out of Chicago. I'm very interested in when I hear something and I can relate it back to the college dropout or late registration or the best feeling is when you play... Uh, an album or a song for a buddy and then they think oh this reminds me of that and i love drawing those connections as well and i think that's really why kanye is such an engaging artist for me more than anything else that he's done is just this sphere of influence that he holds and how people are still drawing lines and he's still extending branches to this day
1: yeah that's uh i get this image as you say lineage that the fact when kanye was first coming onto the scene he was pulling, I mean, we all know how, his use of sampling. And mm-hmm. immediately he's connect, like laying these roots that connect him to all these artists that came before. But mm-hmm. the impact of Kanye to this point is that it's not just the roots going back, you have the branches going ahead in the way mm-hmm. that he's changed current music and trends and the artists he's brought up. It's really going to be crazy when somebody undertakes that huge project of just the sphere of influence of Kanye.
2: Well I think if you follow that to its logical end what I'm really excited for is when we get to a point where people are sampling Kanye but just Kanye you know what I mean like we have blend tapes now that I find very fascinating but I'm really looking forward to like the era that we step into where people will pull up Kanye records like they do need a Simone because I think that will be such a sonic renaissance.
1: Oh man. Do you have like a a sample in mind that you're like I need to hear that song being sampled in some way?
2: Hmm, that's a that's a tough one.
1: <laughs> that is like which of the 120 Kanye songs <laughs> do you wish was sampled before any of the other ones? I mean, I guess we're getting a little bit of that recently. I think this year alone there have been like six or seven different renditions of Kanye songs, not necessarily samples, but just like Westworld using runaway or there was another artist that performed on stage and did her version of runaway. And it was really cool to hear.
0: Hmm.
2: I love, I love anything that has to do with um, just like bridging gaps. I love anything that, breaks the idea that time is linear that's that that's really what it comes down to with him for me is that he inverts this idea like time is not linear and he does that with his music every single time and ways that are almost kind of cheeky like one of my favorites off late registration is um diamonds from sierra leone and i love that sample so much because it makes me think of you know the The commercial for the detergent it makes me think of assignments <laughs> the movie. It makes me think of *Mad Men*, and I think that anything that can summon so many images at once, just so innately, that's that's art to me. That's why I liked *Kids See Ghost* so much. Is when I saw all of the fan art that came from it, I was just floored. I was like, "This is special. It has to be because people are doing something of their own volition that is just as compelling as the original artwork."
1: Yeah, there's a whole conversation there as well, right? Like, it's not just the work itself, but what's engendered by the work that's out in the world, which, like, so many artists have that impact on fans and grow a community because of that impact. But given Kanye's longevity, the diversity of his projects, how open he is about confidence and mental health, sometimes to his own detriment, but other times in an empowering way, like there's just a lot of cool things that develop in the wake of Kanye projects.
2: Absolutely. I think that's really what got me so excited about this latest run of albums is just the way that, um, like a world's really built outside of the whole of the records. When I was first coming up with the idea of the, the Kids See Ghosts piece, I had sent my my managing editor, Brendan, I think maybe just a hundred incoherent thoughts. But the thing that always came up was like world building and world building and world building. And I think that's something that he does really well. And it goes beyond like a successful or unsuccessful album rollout, right? Because the life of Pablo album rollout was bad. <laughs> um, but it was the world. He manages to build around it. And it's the fact that he can control that world. No matter what state he's in, and this is always to his credit, no matter what mental state he's in, he somehow just has control of the whole universe that's built around every single record, no matter how chaotic it is. And that is just so incredible to me. I would love to know if he is even conscious of that or if that's just an innate ability of his.
1: Is it something that he's had to like cultivate the way that you know, we all develop... Our writing voice or ability the craft mm-hmm. or is it just something that like that's been his thing
2: i think he's definitely um otherworldly he definitely has some kind of like superpower and i know this to be true because when i was writing the uh the kids see ghost piece i described uh some image of a ouija board and then later, um, my editor, Z, sent me the header image that we used, which is the Ouija board. And he asked me if I had seen it prior to writing, and I said no. And that's how I know that Kanye is always listening and always watching.
1: <laughs> that's right. He's, uh, he's in that church in the sky, just looking down, being like, what's going on? What's, uh, what's Donna writing there? Ouija board? Okay, here we go. <laughs>
2: And it was fan art, too. That's what's so incredible, is as I'm having this reaction, another person somewhere else entirely is having the same reaction in another medium. And they marry right here on this article. And that to me, that to me is just mind blowing.
1: It's such a little moment of synergy that just captures Mm -hmm. so much about the elements of not just like... In uh, artists' influence on other artists, but people's influence on people and the connection between people.
2: He definitely is one of the few artists I would say that is always tapped into like a very Jungian, like collective subconscious for creativity.
1: It, there's something very archetypal in even the way that he's developed characters on his albums like the Mm -hmm. Pablo persona, the Yeezus persona, like the character that's there on my beautiful dark twisted fantasy. It it feels like it, his albums often go beyond just like Kanye rapping about Kanye. Or I know on Twitter, we end up bringing up Jay-Z way too much in a negative way, but like Jay-Z's albums are typically like Jay-Z talking about very familiar Jay-Z things or just Jay-Z's wealth. Uh, Jay-Z doing this, but there's something in Kanye's albums that, as you said, feels Jungian in that archetype, beyond reality kind of way.
2: Absolutely. And I think even just taking it off of the music, when you look at the era that he creates and puts himself into, with every single release, that's very incredible to me. And I think it's very reminiscent of what, um, Kendrick Lamar is very good at this. He's very good at dating himself with his voice, you know, and it's, it's very purposeful. Like he has a different vocal inflection and cadence on To Pimp a Butterfly than he has on Good Kid than he has on Damn. And that's not, you know, that's outside of the realm of on his mixtapes where he sounds like he wants to rap like Lil Wayne. These are like calculated decisions where he's dating himself and it's, building in our minds that we are able to recognize him. And that familiarity, I think, helps fans connect because it feels so good to hear something and understand.
1: Mm. And there's something about capturing the period of time of when an album came out or when people first heard the album that when you go back and listen to that, it has such a sound that can't be from any other period. You just connect Mm -hmm. it to back then. And it really, like... As you were talking about, like taking you out of time, like every time you go back and listen to My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy or Graduation, Late Registration, it's a completely different experience, but you connect to when you first heard it to today and all the eras before in a way that feels, I guess, different to me than if it's just kind of like a a rock band that has the same sound on each album.
2: I think even more so with the, the last string of releases, because the music is getting less accessible. and Or maybe yeah. I just...
1: No, no, now, it is.
2: <laughs> now it's less so that um, you remember the first time you heard it, and more so you remember the first time it clicked. And I think that moment is
0: all the more beautiful. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai.
1: Yes. Wow. What a great way of putting that. That's a... When we first started our podcast, it was July of 2015 and Mm -hmm. we were interacting a lot on the Kanye subreddits, not so much on Twitter at that time, but seeing how many people two years after Yeezus came out still absolutely fucking hated Yeezus um, and still thought it was garbage, thought the music was garbage and watching from then to now and just there's definitely been a turn in the tide when it comes to appreciating that album and a lot Mm -hmm. of people saying like it's finally clicked for me I get it I used to hate it listen to it again wow how like this is incredible which is so fascinating to me
2: yeah I think that that's just one of the best experiences a person can have And um, I come from a place where I, like, very aggressively want to like things. I'll never put on an album and, like, hope to hate it. I hope no one does that, but, you know, (laughs) different strokes for different folks, right? But when I – I have such a desire to like things um, that sometimes it does the inverse, where I'll, like, I won't hear it for what it is. And I think that for me, I have to shock myself. So um, I really liked Blonde, and then I had some tumultuous experiences – Revolving around blonde and then I stopped listening to it for almost two years and then I very much so resolved to like it And I went and sat outside in the freezing cold On New Year's Day and I listened to it and I was like I get it now I've shocked myself in a way where I can hear this and I understand it now And I'm very willing to do that with any Kanye album But the only one it's never worked for is 808s and I so terribly want to love that album Because my very good friend really enjoys that album and I just want to share that with him but it just doesn't happen for me. I don't hate it. I don't hate any Kanye album, but man, do I just not, I just can't connect to 808s so no matter what I do, no matter how cold it is.
1: <laughs> yeah, and that's, uh, that's so funny because it seems to be the one that like, people most often just have that purely emotional con- connection to. Mm-hmm. I, wonder, I wonder what will eventually do it or if it'll ever not happen. Like 20 years from now, we'll be like, hey, Donna, 808s, has it clicked? And you're just like, no, no.
2: I know that one day I'm going to message my editors and I'll say, guys, the time has come. I went to the woods with two cans of soup and a granola bar, and that setting, I figured it out, I get 808s, I'm so ready, here's 1500 words, I'll see you tomorrow.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm just gonna cry. You just need to uh, to go to New York City and just ride around, not New York, I don't think that's a good place for it. Just get in a taxi cab and get on a highway and just stare at the lights passing. And maybe after several thousand dollars worth of taxi rides, Streetlights will click, and we'll be good.
2: We later learned that the Kanye podcast is actually sponsored by taxicabs. And so it's <laughs> just your way of plugging the affiliate program.
1: Yes, that's right. Not, not Uber, not Lyft, not any of that. Taxi cabs. That's the just way to go. the
2: general. The general taxicabs. All of them.
1: Yeah, we're old school that way.
2: Oh. I would love to... You know, it's, and it's, it's so frustrating because I love emotive music. So really, if anyone who listens to this has like a step-by-step guide, I'll try it. I'm ready. I want to like that album so, so badly.
1: Is it, uh, I mean, do you, do you have like, do you know what it is where the resistance comes from? Like the lyrics, the soundscape, the, just one song in particular where you're like, that song just bothers me so much.
2: It's not that anything puts me off. It's that I just, I never sink in, in the way that all of the other albums, at least on some level, can pull me under, at least for, you know, either the whole album, a few tracks. I just always am like lounging on the surface and I'm enjoying my time, but I never go under. And I think that's, that's such a sad thing.
1: (laughs) I'm going to come up with some like 808s recipes. They're just like three steps to try to make you love 808s. and. See if any of them work. I'll send them to you.
2: Please do. I'll try anything. I'm a very open person.
1: <laughs> um. So, Ada, had you uh, been listening to all of Kanye's albums as they came out?
2: No. Um. My real first love with music was like, um, like punk. This is like an, an embarrassing thing about me is that my favorite band to say anything. Uh, but I have a very good reason for that. Their lead singer is Jewish, and I'm also Jewish, and he is a little mentally unstable. And I'm a little mentally unstable. So we connected on that level. But um, Kanye has just always been around me. I didn't actually appreciate listening to albums in full for a very long time, which is funny because anyone you talk to now, they'll tell you that I'm very militant and I don't like playlists, and I don't mm-hmm. listen to playlists. I only listen to albums front to back. I don't shuffle albums I don't listen to playlists I have no interest in your rap caviar playlist I only want to hear the body of work as it exists
1: yeah I'm I'm imagining like playlists with novels or something where you're just like here's a chapter from like Dostoevsky and now a chapter from Faulkner (laughs) here's a chapter from Virginia Woolf
2: That's exactly what it is, because I'm such an avid reader, and I don't understand why an artist took so much time, or even three minutes, but they took time to present it to me in this way, so shouldn't I experience it that way? I mean, the book comes in order for a reason, too. If you just slapped your music together for no reason, then, I mean, I guess if you tell me that, then I will hold no regard for it, but I think most people put things in order on purpose.
1: Yeah, yeah, right? (laughs) Like, there's an organization to that, which gets at one of the... Topics I find, uh, I'm trying to not use the word fascinating as much as I do, but uh, a topic that piques my interest is the difference between what the artistic process is and the time and effort artists put into, you know, organizing the track list or this one specific sound here or this lyric versus what the public thinks of or expects from an artist. Um, And maybe they think that the track list doesn't matter, or maybe Mm -hmm. they think that the sound was just the sound and how that factors into how people interact with not just music, but any body of work.
2: That's definitely something I struggle with when I critique things is um, how much does intent matter to me? Because, um, you know, like if your intent was to make me a 10 track album and, you know, you're supposed to be telling the story in these 10 tracks. And that's really what you were going for. And I'm listening to it and it falls apart. And like I read your explanation three different times and it's still not working. That's 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 your failure because you had an intent and it didn't communicate. But if the breakdown in communication is more so abstract, right, if you're trying to communicate something to me, um, that's a little more loose, like perhaps an emotion. And I'm reading another emotion that's equally as evocative. Did you fail? Is that on me? And so I wonder that all the time. But I definitely think it starts with track listing. I don't think anything's ever by accident because there's just too many channels. Even with someone like Kanye, who seems to be very much like the leader of his own of his own um, circus, that there, there's too many steps in between for things to be blatant accidents, like song transitions are things that I think about all the time, Mm -hmm. right? And just any way that one thing is informing another thing on the album, or maybe to another album and music videos, I think is such a huge part of it. And um, how music videos help conceptualize albums. And then is that a critique of the album? Or or not? I don't have the answer to that because sometimes I'll see a great music video that gives me closure on an album I previously didn't like the ending of. But then, does that mean the album isn't as good? Because technically the album didn't give me that closure, the video did. But the artist still made the video and the video is available to me. <laughs> I
0: don't it, have to answer the
2: question.
1: It starts getting into some like layering, right? Like,
2: mm-hmm.
1: w- At what point do you cut off where the information comes from like do you just view the album as the album do you view the album as in conversation with the music video like if somebody just listened to famous in and of itself Mm. they may take away one tone uh, Mm. that that song has if they listen to famous on the whole of the album but don't view any of the songs in the life of pablo being interconnected or having intercontextuality Famous mm. will have a completely different tone than if you view the album as being a linear narrative that has building. And then it's a completely different song if you watch the Famous music video. And you're like, oh, that's the video to this song? Like, with that voyeuristic camera roaming over the bodies? Like, it's a completely different <laughs> takeaway.
2: Absolutely. And I think what really... I guess it starts with how is it being advertised? Because Lemonade's a visual album, right? So you understand that you're supposed to consume things at once. But also artists are living, breathing people. And even though the album is already out, a person can have an idea and something can connect for the artist too. So I think there's that element of humanity that sometimes we're missing when we critique albums in that way. And we say, oh, well, you know, if this came after, um, then it's just, A failure of the album to not communicate that to me already but we're all alive and we're all thinking about things and you know if you have a new thought about an album you know 10 years down the line why can't the artist have a new thought about the album a month after its release like who knows
1: yeah which gets into a whole thing about is art ever really finished i know when i finish a poem i i still go back Mm -hmm. to poems i wrote like seven years ago, and I make edits to them. And I'm like, oh, that was really bad. I thought it was good, but it was bad. And now it's good. And I'm sure five years from now, I'll go back to that poem and be like, oh, that was bad. I thought I made it good. Like now it's good.
2: And that's why I think you can only really critique of the moment, right? So I was dissatisfied with the ending of Big Fish Theory. It's been Staple's album. Then I saw the video for the final track and I found a brand new appreciation for it. So my critique in the original moment is different than my understanding of the album following. I don't know whose fault that is. I don't think it's anyone's fault. I think that art constantly evolves. And that's really exciting because we have the ability to always have new content from our artists.
1: Yes. Yeah, which makes uh, which makes writing reviews such a... Such a weird task because it's so immediate, but often our views on the art shift over time and something that you wrote about last week, you may have a completely different feeling about the week after. Is that ever something that you want to go back and you're like, can I please write a follow up? Can I please write like a, a note on the article or something? Or do you just kind of have to leave it in the past and move on?
2: It certainly depends on, like, the gravity of the situation, also like the album in question. Um, but one thing I'm very grateful of at a DJ booth is usually um, even my most haphazard ideas. If I if I throw them at my editors with uh, even a shred of conviction, they can typically tell when I'm going to do a good job. I have a I have a couple of pitches that is a string of incoherent thoughts. And I'm like, just trust me. And it's uh, it's very gratifying when they do. So there's definitely been moments where I've like gone back and been like, I need to write about this again. Like the blonde piece, for example, that was something like blonde had been out for nearly two years and then I needed to write about it again.
1: Yeah, I and I think people want to read that, right? It's still Mm -hmm. relevant because music, no matter when it comes out, is still holding a place in the hearts and minds of people. Mm
2: hmm. I think that's why the way that I write resonates with at least one person, I would say, because some people were reacting to the, the yay piece. They were like, this is a really, really bad review. I'm like, well, it's not really a review. It's, it's a lot more. It's like a review, but it's an op-ed, but it's a personal essay. I'm doing a lot of things at once because I'm very taken by motive. Like why are people doing the things that they do? Why do people react the way that they react? And so I think that the traditional album review except by like a few people that are just airtight writers, is, you know, by and large gone, especially at the rate that we have to push them out and how short they've gotten. Like if you go on pitchfork, some album reviews are like five hundred words.
0: And people on
2: pitchfork and look at the number. And then they click out. And so I mean they must be aware of that. They have their page view analytics. They know how quickly people stay or leave. So they adapt. And I think that what is really exciting about what I get to do on DJ booth is that I'll write like we call them like cheat code reviews, but I also have the space to write these like sprawling personal essay, album review, narrative, story time, whatever it is that I come up with. Because as long as the writing is tight and people can connect, then they will come back. I think that's really what makes someone like Yo, who's the um, the other senior writer at DJ Booth and perhaps one of the best writers to exist in our generation. That's what makes him so successful is that. People will always read what he writes because he has just this uncanny ability to connect with the reader, even if you've never had a similar life experience to him. And so that's kind of how you get around the review loophole, right is you just have to like extend a hand.:
1: <laughs> Yeah, and I, I personally, I find that far more compelling is either the review that's subjective and just giving us like that kind of personal essay uh, like op-ed think piece that's based on the work itself and kind of exploring the thoughts and feelings that the work engendered or something that's trying for complete objectivity with like, this is why and explanations that has to be like 3000 words. Mm. Um, Give me either of those because I feel like one, I connect more with another person and the other, Mm. I, I learn more, but anything that's just kind of, in the middle, is it good or bad? Just feels to me like such shortchanging the reviewer and shortchanging the artist.
2: And that's the the pleasure of writing the yay piece, right? Because like, I am a critic, and I love to critique and I love to argue. And I'm just I love to know why things didn't work. It's because I critique because I want something to be good. I'm not malicious, but you know, if I hear something to my ear that's wrong or the song structure is failing or any of these technical things just aren't working, I will tell you, I won't lie, but I'm also a person. So I think that yay is a very, very sloppily put together record, but I appreciate so much as a person who struggles with the way that that operates for me. And I feel like it's my responsibility to communicate both of those things to you because we're all human beings.
1: Yeah. And there's people if if you just did the one that doesn't carry as much weight as if you do both. And like there's something to having both that really I don't know takes it to another place.
2: Yeah. Because I'm very as like a writer obsessed with the idea of like moral consistency, so that's like the critique and the objectivity side of it where I tell you like why at 3 minutes in the song structure starts to fail, but then to be consistent you have to con front your inconsistencies and that's why I tell you okay well anyway this song is a bunch of rambling but it really did it for me let me tell you why
1: <laughs> yeah right <laughs> there's some things where it's just like yeah I recognize that this is just this but I love it <laughs> or there are movies and more that... people... oh go ahead I
2: was gonna say more people just need to be comfortable with that because life is very sad um, and there's just not enough time for you to like, shame, listen to music, listen to whatever you want to. It doesn't have to be spectacular. If it makes you feel something on our short time alive, then Pete to be with you, please listen to it in earnest.
1: <laughs> it's uh, I-, I had a few years of like heavily being a, a movie critic and mm-hmm. we were doing a lot of analysis, explaining narrative and thematics about movies. And we started getting into, uh, film festivals And going to film festivals and watching, you know, 20 movies in four or five days and then having to write pieces on all of them. Talk about, like, life being sad and just you should spend time on the things that you really enjoy. It was so debilitating just watching movies that you hated and then having to write, like... Our thing was finding what makes the movie worth watching, not necessarily Mm -hmm. is it good or bad, And I was just like, oh, my God, I'm losing my soul. (laughs) I'm losing my soul. So I think that's very good advice. If you don't connect with something, listen to things you do, and then try it again.
2: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I think it's funny that you you had yours as a film critic. You would hate my my movie taste. It's very limited, and I don't see movies very often. So it's just... uh... It's like cult classics, but not even the good cult classics. My favorite film is *Rocky Horror Picture Show*. My favorite genre of movie is one Netflix made for me entitled *Raunchy B Horror Movies from the 1960s*. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that sounds awesome. It's there's a I I live down in Austin and the Alamo Draft House has a Terror Tuesdays, and mm-hmm. they just show like really like cheesy b-level c-level horror movies every tuesday
2: perfect revenge of the killer tomatoes surf nazis must die um elvira mistress of the dark my first crush
1: <laughs> i remember her i remember i used to watch the attack of the killer tomatoes cartoon show
2: there was a cartoon that's fascinating
1: yeah. attack of the killer tomatoes it was a cool that's show a- Oh, man. Okay, so so uh, you start, when did you start, or when did you write your first article about
2: Kanye? Oh, my goodness. Um, I think it may have been this year. Oh, whoa. I think this may have been, like, the time where I, like, tackled Kanye in long form this year. Because I, I have, like, very, you know, long, sprawling conversations, but I also have, you know, the general fear of the internet. So... <laughs> Excuse me, writing, many moons ago, but this is probably like the year that I sat down in earnest and I was like, let's write about Kanye, let's confront these things that I know that I can talk about without, you know, putting my foot in my mouth.
1: Has writing about him in that professional way, where you giving, I'm sure you were already in your own way doing the deep thoughts on his music, on him, on how you felt about it, but... Has writing these pieces changed how you view him at all or even doing seeing the reaction to pieces uh affected how you view him or his work?
2: Every time I write something on the whole, it makes me like it more. Only because I've just developed a relationship with it, you know, like the process of writing about music involves like heavy listening to one thing and heavy reading about this one thing and so i guess i um on some level stockholm syndrome myself into liking him a little more every time i write an article about him
1: (laughs) pretty soon you're gonna be like can i be the third host on watching the throne
2: (laughs) (laughs) i've already drafted that email to you so just be on the lookout (laughs)
1: and uh, it just made me really picture writing a a novel or maybe it'd be better as a screenplay but kind of mm-hmm. like a a darker whiplash like psychological movie or story where it's the relationship between a critic and an artist and they start mm-hmm. off really hating the critic but want to love the critic so or want to love the art They start off hating the artist, but want to love the artist. So they just keep writing these very angry pieces, trying to convince themselves to love the artist.
2: I think it's funny your mind went there, because when you started talking, I imagined you were going to pitch me a sitcom where all of the Kanye personas live together in a college dorm.
1: (laughs) Oh, that's far better.
2: I would, if Netflix is listening, send me some money. I'll write this for you as fast as you want
1: (laughs) you should absolutely write it you should pitch that to your editors at dj booth and be like hey dj booth's first youtube web series
2: (laughs) i'll let them know i'm sure they'll get a good kick out of it
1: yeah we uh we just we're gonna make a short film based on Ultra Light beam and i don't Mm -hmm. know how that's gonna go but i'm pretty sure it's gonna be really bad
2: No, it's going to be fantastic. I've already decided for you.
1: (laughs) Well, in that case, that's a relief because I was worried it was going to be bad. But now that I know it's going to be fantastic.
2: As the first lady of DJ Booth, I've decided in advance that it will be fantastic. And so it shall be.
1: (laughs) I'm just going to come to you before I start anything and be like, may I have your blessing?
2: (laughs) Please do. I encourage it. I don't know if I'm lucky or not, but I do consider myself fairly supportive of any and all creative endeavors. But I would never lie to you. So if it was going to be bad, I tell you.
1: That makes a lot of sense to me. As an only child, I'm not going to question it or doubt it. I'm just going to believe it and go. Uh, um, oh, and what has been your biggest takeaway then from these articles, or the month of June, I guess, which you were just kind of inundated with writing about Kanye and these albums. Did you have like one major point that's kind of echoing in your mind?
2: Everyone's a person. No one's a superstar. No one's an icon. No one is anything except for another human being. Some people are just sufficiently more talented and well-paid than us, but just everyone is alive and we're all really doing our best and our the best looks really different from person to person.
1: Very much so. And what somebody's best in, in one area, you may not see the other areas that they're absolutely not good in.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, that really makes me think of the album title, Yay, as well, with it also being that, I don't know if entendre is the right word, but having the secondary meaning of being you in the collective.
2: hmm I think it was a very communal moment, but I also think that he feels very small. I mean, the font is lowercase, right? But I think that um, in a lot of ways, he feels small and he wants to connect. I have a little notebook I keep on my desk that I got from the MoMA. And every day I write down one thing I'm passionate about. And if I aggregated it right now, at least 50% of the things I'm passionate about are connecting. And I think that that's true for everybody. So even someone of Kanye's stature, I think that Ye was him just asking to be thought of as a person. Yeah. But he doesn't really have the vocabulary for that, as we've learned from his many appearances in the past month. It's the best he can do. It's
1: very different, like, when you hear Kanye talk, when he's giving a speech, versus what he says in his albums, versus mm-hmm. when you hear other people talk about their experiences when they've just sat with him one-on-one. It's very three distinct like tones or takeaways you get from the individual, Mm
2: -hmm. which
1: to use the word fascinating is fascinating.
2: I definitely don't think that he's intentionally malicious. I think that a lot of the things that he said, some of the rhetoric that he's put out there, and this has been written, written about by people far smarter than I is damaging. But what I think we're witnessing is like just a person that is learning how to describe something very scary that's happening inside of themselves while also learning about the world at large. And I just feel like he's very overwhelmed. Like his, his Twitter feed at that time just spoke to me as a person that is just learning way too much. It was such a symptom of we consume too much information. And I think he's just short circuiting, but I also think that he needs like very, very intensive therapy and perhaps an SSRI.
1: Ooh, I don't know what an SSRI is.
2: Oh, it's like, um, think like antidepressant.
1: Okay. That makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah, it seems like, uh, it's definitely been a tipping point for him. And I, it makes me think there's, I don't know if it was a quote I heard or if something somebody said to me or something that I read in a, in a novel or something, but it was, Always that, like, one day we're shocked to find that our bodies have betrayed us, whether that's, Mm -hmm. like, physically, like, I've had four knee surgeries. I went from doing all these sports to not, like, scared to do any, like, athletic endeavor um, to something with just, like, the neurochemistry and Mm -hmm. having depression that hits you. And you're just like, why? Like, why is this what's happened? And I wonder if that's just kind of the period that we're seeing him go through, is that reckoning with the self of like, oh, I like, I've been betrayed in some way by my body and I have to recollect what that means in my life.
2: Absolutely. I'm always so fearful of painting him as like a victim in this situation fully or just painting him as anything fully, as someone who isn't an agent for himself, but all of that aside, I think, just on a piece of paper, if you have been lifted to this godly status and you're around that nonstop between interviews and press and yes men, and then you are humanized by this very real and troubling illness, um I don't know how I would reckon with that because i'm i'm quite I'm quite depressed, but I don't um also think that I'm infallible, so when i have like very depressive lows, I'm not humbled, I'm just frustrated. So I couldn't imagine the level of frustration he might feel.
1: Yeah, there was something to his facial expressions during the Charlemagne interview. We were just like, oh yeah, this is a this is a different Kanye. Mm-hmm.
2: Like
1: this is a Kanye that's thinking through, as you just said, like how how do I how do I feel in the wake of having experienced this?
2: Yeah, absolutely. You could definitely see the cogs turning. And I, I don't think that at any point on any of these albums, he ever really got to a logical end, which is why I think Kid Cudi was such a good pair for him, because Kid Cudi has reached a logical end, at least in some capacity, um, with the way that he reckons with his mental health, which is why Reborn is such um, a beautiful song, but also just when you think of the two players, they live on really just the opposite ends of the spectrum when you think about the theme of that song. Like, Kanye is not reborn. He's ever so slightly approaching this rebirth, and I, I do believe and I hope that, you know, Kid Cudi has really become a new man in the past few years.
1: Yeah, what we were hearing about Cudi at the end of 2016, same with Kanye, it was just so mm-hmm. sad. And to see the hopeful like uptick in just their happiness levels in 2018 is hopefully mm-hmm. like uh, a macro change and not just a momentary thing. Um,
0: Absolutely.
1: It, it's funny. You mentioned Cuddy being just a little bit ahead of Kanye and Reborn. We've been doing our line-by-line narrative and thematic deconstructions of Ye and See Ghosts. And one of the things that we noted was that in all the songs, Cuddy really does feel just like a little bit ahead of Kanye. Like, mm-hmm. fire Kanye's still in more of a, a negative mindset. And Cuddy has a moment of negative mindset, but by the end of the track, he's the one talking about being on the road and seeing his scars. On Fourth Dimension, a similar thing happens, where Kanye's still very much in, I guess, the if you're looking at it as just a, a narrative in that album, like... Mm-hmm in the narrative, where Cuddy seems a little bit to go from being in the narrative to being a narrator that's looking back on it. Hmm.
2: Yeah. Huh. Yes, I agree. I'm thinking, but on a base level, I agree. Yeah. I think it's really good that they're together because Now I'm a little tongue-tied. That was a very good realization. But I do think that it's really good that they're together because it paints a spectrum. Whereas on Ye, which I think speaks to a lot of the same themes in terms of mental health, you're really, really in one place. And I think that for some people, that can be very empowering because you hear someone that's in the same place as you. But for other people, that can be quite despondent to hear, oh, well, if he just feels like this forever, then I'm going to feel like this forever. So to get the spectrum on Kids See Ghosts, I think, is like the ultimate form of empowerment.
1: Yeah, there's something really nice when you put Kanye and Cuddy in conversation like that. And I think a similar thing happens when you put Ye and Kids See Ghosts into conversation like that, um, mm-hmm. rather than just isolating Ye as a project. Getting back to what we were saying earlier about how much do you open up the levels of the conversation. But when you put those albums like next to each other as like one experience, you get that different takeaway.
2: I think you almost have to. It's just necessitated they're short enough where you could do it and it's not an egregious, like, time ask. But additionally, like, they came out in that order, I think, again, on purpose. Pusha T came out first on purpose and then this, like, little snippet into um, just, like, the Psyche overall came out as its own unit on purpose. And so that's something that I'm interested in is... Listening through them one way, listening through them in another way, and just kind of like really diving into where is the growth? Is there growth? Like, what do you want me to know about ghosts? What are the ghosts when you put them together? Because I have an idea about, like, the ghosts individually. But when you put this whole universe into one even bigger universe, what are you communicating to me?
1: Yeah, that's... Uh... That's the question, right? And you'll have some people that just think they're just albums, they're just release projects, like, don't read too much into them. But we've been having that same conversation. And so you see some of the topics on Daytona, especially leading into confrontation, like the last half of that Mm -hmm. album builds to infrared. Um, Mm -hmm. There's anger building on Santeria, there's anger building on what would Meek do till we get it on Infrared, and then yay, you kind of start in that same place before starting to move away from it. Kids see ghosts, you move away from it, and then Nazir, you come out on a completely other end of the spectrum from where you started with Pusha, and then Teyana brings something completely different to it as well. It seems that there's something there, but you know, how much should we read into it based on that earlier conversation of intent versus just looking at the work and seeing what comes out of the work?
2: I think if you can prove something, if you can say, I think this, and you can point to it, and you can prove something convincingly, then it had to be there because it evoked something in you, Right. Mm. But then I also think that um, you can't take that too far because your proof has to hold some type of weight. You can't just say, this album's related to this old eclectic jazz album from, you know, 1963, and uh, it's because the drums kind of sound the same. That's not fair.
1: (laughs) No, that's that's not fair at all. Now, if it uses those drums from that
2: 1963
1: album, that's much more concrete.
2: That would make more sense. I think... Something really compelling is to always look back and see, like, what records are you sampling? Why are you sampling these records? Like, who are these people? And drawing threads like that, I think, is really interesting. But I'm also weary of it because how much of that did you actually research? How much of it is just, like, the uncanny way that music unfolds? But really everything I believe is in conversation with everything. It has to be like everything is an influence, right? Because we're alive and we're taking in so much information. I have sage by my window that has to influence me in some way, just by the mere virtue that I'm like around plant life.
1: Yeah. There's something to that. That's going to be inspirational, which that's been a kind of a funny thing to me, not just regarding Kanye, but I've been seeing it in a lot of other spaces, like with, uh, what was the release? It was the season seven lookbook or something, or the season six lookbook that Kanye recently did with a mm-hmm. lot of the naked people hugging or on the floor. And mm-hmm. people wrote articles about how it actually seemed, and they used the word stole from plagiarized uh, a photo series by another, uh, by mm-hmm. a, a visual artist. And it's, Interesting to me to think about how much of that do you just put as being inspired by an homage and how much of it do you chalk up to plagiarism or theft? Like, where is that line?
2: I think theft is malicious. You have to have malicious intent to be a thief, but like copying can be accidental. I think everything is just about taking responsibility. Right? But you have to be a thief, you have to have malicious intent. Yeah. You know, like, you can accidentally take something from a store, you can walk out with something by accident, but to steal you have to have, it's a verb, you have to have that intent.
1: Yeah, stealing is an action that you take. Walking mm-hmm. out with something and you're like, oh no, <laughs> like I had this candy bar in my hand and just forgot about it.
2: Like... And homage is so tricky too, because it's beautiful to love something but especially in like, hip-hop, where authenticity is so paramount, um, there is a line between, like, are you paying homage? Or are you not creative yourself? And I think you can, you can really hear that. You can tell the difference between an homage. Like the Carters is really I loved everything is love so much," because of all of the um, nods to, to like, classics. And that's great, and that's homage. And then homage can even be like sonic like a lot of what like tiana taylor does is homage to me in a way but i don't feel like she's rehashing and just throwing something i've already heard at me because that's like tiresome and you can tell you know homage becomes um like blatant copying when it's tiresome
1: i think that's a really good rule of thumb for it right just that binary like zero or one it's like is this exciting then it's probably not theft (laughs) uh Mm -hmm it's probably homage or inspiration is it exhausting does it feel like something else too much then it probably crosses that line the other way
2: yeah absolutely Hmm.
1: uh i guess that brings me to a few quicker questions before Mm -hmm. we wrap up Uh, do you have a do you have a favorite kanye moment it's just kanye doing things in the world
2: Late orchestration. I watch late orchestration perhaps on a weekly basis.
1: That's awesome. What is it about late orchestration that you like so much?
2: The orchestra. I love string. <laughs> I think it sounds so good. I think it's awesome they're all women. I think that is so inventive and I think it sounds immaculate.
1: It really does. Did you, uh, did you get to hear Yato yet?
2: Yes, I've actually spoken to the guys who are behind Beethoven? really fantastic people. And they made me like Pablo more, actually, because I started to appreciate how they were seeing it as like a piece of classical music.
1: Hell yeah. That's awesome. I got to meet them briefly after their uh, Lincoln Center performance, which Mm -hmm. was really cool, because I bothered them way too much for an interview. (laughs) It was nice just to be like, hey, I'm that guy. Thank you so much for this. Goodbye.
2: I can't even imagine. That must have been a fantastic experience. That's like a bucket list bucket list thing for me.
1: It really was. I was so lucky that friends just randomly had a week, uh, wedding the same weekend.
2: Hmm.
1: I was like, okay, well, I will be in New York. I got tickets. Wow. <laughs> um, uh, top five Kanye tracks?
2: Probably all off late registration. Um craft music addiction uh diamonds hey mama um jesus walks all falls down that's more than five i'm not very good at counting <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah i mean numbers are different than words so <laughs> um and then do you have like top three albums
2: lay registration, college dropout, and then my beautiful dark twisted fantasy.
1: Nice. And then I guess that brings us to your last call. You have uh, an uninterrupted period of time in which to talk on any subject that you want, much in the way that Kanye himself would, and uh, that'll close out the show.
2: All I want following this podcast is for someone to tell me how I can like 808s, send me a list, send me things I should eat before, things I should drink before, places I should go, books I should read, literally anything that will not harm me, I will try and I will promise to report back if something works and I will thank you in earnest on Twitter, I can't offer you anything else. But, you know, I'll give you, I'll favorite your tweets. I will be a very faithful follower and I will favorite all of your tweets, I'll get your interactions up.
0: me, I tell them.